the Cambridge Marketing Podcast with Kiran Kapoor. Brought to you by Cambridge Marketing College. See their range of courses and apprenticeships at marketingcollege.com. Hello and welcome. This week we are talking about risk mitigation for organisations. The topic was actually mentioned on our sister podcast, Opinionated Marketers, a few episodes back. And a listener contacted me to say, could we cover this in more depth? Always happy to oblige. So, what is risk mitigation? It's a huge topic, it can seem quite bureaucratic, and it can also seem a little bit dull, if we're honest. So we're going to look at what is a risk, how you can identify risks, and then how you mitigate them. But we need to start at the beginning with what is a risk? And who better to explain than Carla Crocombe, founder of the health and safety training company, Safety Rocks. What we actually are, and the terminology is usually saved for um, monetary risk managers or financial risk managers, but we are really risk managers. So the industry has, a, has an image that we want to try to get to a point where we remove all known risk. Now, come on, we all know that that's not actually possible to remove all known risk out of life because Mm -hmm. A, none of us would run a business, B, none of us would go out, C, we'd all be wrapped up in cotton wool somewhere, wouldn't we? No risk, Mm -hmm. no life. So we are trying to change that perception by getting people to realise that we are not on a mission to remove risk, but instead to educate people to understand risk at a fundamental level and to accept that they're in control of so many aspects. So, so many people will say, I'm not in control of that. I'm not in control of that. I'm not in control of that. But we are in control of our own destiny as well as in control of the risks that we take. But in order for people to understand what risks they need to you know, to understand, they need to understand what risk fundamentally is. And the amount of people that just genuinely don't know what that actually means is quite interesting to me. So if we, we're educated on something and we're informed about something, we can make positive choices. So we could say we're going to embrace the risk because we understand it. We only really fear things that we really don't understand. So when we're walking into the unknown, there is a level of fear. And that's because we don't necessarily know what the outcome's going to be. Even though we can do all sorts of calculations, it's not certain. Um, you know, so there's a whole range of different things. Or we could chase risk, but it's our choice. We have a choice. So if somebody wants to do something that is particularly risky as a pastime, it's their choice. So like health and safety management, risk mitigation is not there to remove all risk. If you actually decided to do that, you would simply create other risks within your business um, on the principle that not taking a decision is also taking a decision. If you decide that you can't take a decision about a course of action, you have actually made it a decision. You, if It's a negative decision. You've decided not to do something. So let's have a look at the f- different types of risk within an organisation. And there are a number, but generally um, they are divided into sort of five key areas. There's security and fraud risk. Uh, Cybersecurity is a key and vital part of any modern business. We all put information and uh, work online. We covered this in a recent podcast with Dulcie McCleary, Principal PR Manager at Tenable. It's about the people, the processes and the technology um, that basically help to protect themselves. Okay, so we're sort of we're all aware of things like sort of phishing attacks when you get these sort of dodgy links in. I'm assuming it's a bit more complicated than that. Um, yes and no. Um, so 
I mean, it, it covers cybersecurity covers a vast array of different types of of attacks. So you've got ransomware attacks, you've got social engineering, phishing, as you rightly said, um, you know, SQL injection. There's a vast array of different types of attacks. I mean, and, and at their core, um, they're all bas basically, um, you know, they've got the same thing in mind. It's a cyber attacker, um, be that um, an individual, a gang, a nation state, looking to compromise systems um, for information or data that they can then monetize or use um, to, to um, either bring an organization to its knees, steal data that they can monetize or for any other nefarious tasks. So for a ransomware attack, you know, you've got the threat of your information just being leaked online it can be enough to make an organisation pay um, the, extort the money that, that the uh, threat actor is trying to extort. Um, also, you know, they can encrypt the data, which means that your systems are locked and then you can't function. That's another way that they can try and make you pay money. Um, or they can even, you know, th the latest thing with ransomware attacks is they're talking about destroying your data. And when you think about, you know, if your all your systems suddenly went offline, most organisations would be unable to function. So that can be another mm. um, key pressure to make you pay money. So that's number one risk. Second risk is a compliance risk. Now, compliance is just complying with regulations. So complying with your legal obligations, but also any perhaps voluntary codes of conduct that your company or your industry signs up to. And if the laws around your business and your sector change, then clearly there can be a risk to your organisation. So, for example, if um, laws on advertising change, that can be a risk. If you have chosen to produce a huge advertising campaign, do you have to change it quickly? Um, can you change it? Can you modify it? Or do you have to start again? These are all um, risks. If lawyers around employment um, change, <clears throat> can this cause risks to your organisation? Can it stop you having insufficient staff to do things? It's been a very hot topic in the UK recently in the farming sector where um, rules around bringing in um, labour from international labour in order to work in the fields were suddenly changed by the UK government and farmers couldn't get crops harvested. So that's second risk. Third type of risk to think about is an operational risk. Now, operations is anything to do with your day-to-day -day activities. So this is where um, operational errors, human errors, can come in. Um, could be caused by a lack of staff training, could be poor processes. Um, sometimes it's just a question of better communications, but they are risks that come in your day-to-day -day operational work. Fourth type of risk is financial or economic risk. So um, you need to think not only about your company's financial situation. Um, are you heavily indebted and interest rates have just gone up, for example? Or are there risks that your customers default? So you have credit risks, um, risks that perhaps your suppliers can't um, go bankrupt and therefore cannot um, deliver. Now, that could be seen as an operational risk, but it can also be seen as a financial risk. Um, if you're trading internationally, changes in currency can be a, a huge financial impact and therefore risk. And of course, at the moment, nearly everywhere in the world, inflation is a risk. The 
fifth area that is standardly discussed in risk mitigation for organisations is reputational risk. Now, clearly, this is a massive area. Anything, in a way, can cause negative publicity. But you're looking at things like having to do a product recall, having um, negative reviews. But you should also think wider about sector changes. So, um, for example, things that are standard within your industry can suddenly be seen as unacceptable within the um, the wider world and that can affect your reputational risk. So, for example, um, the world, the corporate world of financial services has always run on um, huge bonuses paid at the end of a successful year just seen as part of the corporate culture and part of the standard remuneration package for people working in that industry. But increasingly, societally, this is no longer seen as, as acceptable. And there have been occasions where shareholders have complained. Um, there's been re negative publicity around the amount of corporate bonuses that are paid. And that is a huge reputational risk. I'm going to add in two other risks that you should also consider often not discussed for some reason within the sort of standard models and literature in this area. Um, they're both around the environment, but one is the natural environment. We are living undoubtedly in a world of climate change and there are effects of the natural environment changing, which can impact your business depending on where you are in the world. So, for example, in the UK, we are having a lot of um, heavy rain suddenly with huge dry patches and then suddenly downpours of heavy rain, which is causing flash flooding. And this overwhelms the draining system and then we get um, standing water and, and floods. So could this disrupt your organisation? Could it stop your um, staff being able to get get to work? Would it stop your customers being able to reach your, um, your premises? Um, could it disrupt your supplies? So natural, natural environment risks are also important. And then there is the wider business environment, the external environment. Um, so let's take a couple of random examples. A pandemic um, suddenly causing lockdown or a container ship getting stuck in the Suez Canal and disrupting supply chains. Perhaps not things that we necessarily would have thought about or necessarily have thought to mitigate against. And this is one of the key aspects of risk mitigation. There are always risks you will not have thought of. That doesn't negate doing the work and thinking about the risks that you can think of and you can mitigate against. But I know that my local hardware store did not think of mitigating against the evergreen getting stuck in the Suez Canal, holding up um, supplies of garden chairs, which then affect the, their summer, um, summer sales of garden furniture. But it happened. So that's the sort of risks that we are thinking about that can affect an organisation. So now we need to think about how we are going to identify the ones that are actually relevant to your organisation and then think about the actual impact that they could have. And there are some great tools and techniques to help here. Now, in any area of business and organisation, there are always huge numbers of tools that you could go for. And there are always people writing about them or shouting about their tool as being the latest and the best and, and the one to use. 
But frankly, the most effective risk mitigation tools for you are the ones you are actually going to use. And it's as simple as that. Don't set up complex risk analysis and control process if it takes so much time that you never actually get around to either doing it or completing it. Keep it simple. You can always make it more complex as you go along. Um, simplify it as much as possible. It's very important to involve as um, different people with different views. You know, that's vital because different people will spot different types of risk. However, don't let finding time in diaries or other priorities take over and don't allow the process to just become a talking shop where people sort of get on their little hobby horses or their soapboxes and talk about their areas that they're concerned about. You need to control the process. Giving nice, simple tools is a very helpful framework to help that discussion. Um, so I'm a huge fan of, of very, very simple tools. And the first one I would always start with is a basic SWOT. Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. It's such a simple and such a powerful tool to use. Everybody gets it. We teach it at school now in the UK. Um, they understand the idea of a basic SWOT. And it's a very useful thinking tool. So couple of things to think about. Strengths and weaknesses are always the internal strengths and weaknesses of your own organisation. Opportunities and threats are always external. So think about what could come down the line externally that could affect you. And often this is where you can really start to get quite creative and actually really start thinking about things that completely unexpected things that could affect you. Um, the other thing I'm going to give is some cultural advice. Culturally, we are always programmed to be happier in one box of the four. So when I've used SWOT on international learners and gone to international corporations, they can often be much more comfortable talking about their organisation's strengths than they are about talking about their organization's weaknesses. So you get a, um, a whole bunch of brilliant stuff in the strengths box and hardly anything in the weakness box. Well, that doesn't help your risk mitigation. In the UK, we are culturally programmed to come up with all the possible weaknesses we can think of. So people often almost want to go straight to the weakness box. And I can end up with lists and lists of weaknesses, but they can really struggle to come up with the organizational strengths. And it's just a cultural bias. And the same thing will you will find happens with the opportunities and threats. It's whether people are comfortable culturally in thinking about the opportunities or whether they're more comfortable thinking about the threats. All of it is good. Just control the process. Um, the next tool I would recommend is then looking at the key dependencies of your organisation. So. This is an exercise where you go through and you think about what are the key things that my organisation relies on in order to function? And therefore, what could happen if they were to fail or be disruptive? Clearly, these are key dependencies. They're going to have a serious impact on your business. So let's think of an example when um, Kentucky Fried Chicken, KFC, ran out of chicken. Um, they changed suppliers, there was a supply chain failure, and suddenly um, a whole host of KFC restaurants had no chicken. Um, 
that is clearly damaging financially. It was clearly damaging reputationally. Um, chicken in a chicken restaurant is a fairly key dependency. Uh, financially, they seem to have coped. Reputationally, KFC handled it brilliantly. They produced their um, We Had One Job apology campaign, um, which was fantastic. They just uh, went out, took it on the chin and said, yeah, we got this wrong. This is what went wrong. And we just got we just got it wrong. Um, but there is a there is a huge international organisation messing up a wonky dependency. So having done that, we've looked at risks, we've identified the risks. We now need one pool tool to pull everything together. And the best tool I I use is the um, risk impact matrix, sometimes known as the risk probability matrix. Um, it's very nice because it's very simple and people, again, can understand it. And what you are always doing for each risk that you have identified, you think about what is the probability or the likelihood of that risk happening and what is the impact of that risk happening? So what is the likelihood of a catastrophic fire at our premises? What would the impact of a catastrophic fire on our business be. So for a for the college, for example, um, the probability I would hope was low. The impact is actually lower than I expected when I started to genuinely do this exercise live, because in fact, we can operate out of our premises. We can restart, rework and keep going. Therefore, the probability was low. The impact was lower than I had expected. Then you might think about probability of a data hack. Now, experts like Dulcie McCleary will tell you that actually the probability of a data hack is probably quite high. Um, the impact of the business is enormous. So clearly that is a, a, rep a risk that I'm going to need to consider probably higher than I'm going to be worried about some of the other risks that I have also identified. And traditionally, what you do is you score each with the impact and the probability on a score of one to five. So one being low, five being high. I quite like to do this out of six because it stops people sitting on the fence and suddenly you find you've got threes in everything. Um, that's not particularly helpful. I need something a little bit more finely graded. So I quite like to do it out of six, but traditionally you will see it as done out of five. So we've identified our risks, we've pulled them into a tool, we've done a probability impact matrix, we've worked out that the probability of a data hack out of five is four and the impact is five. Um, therefore, that tells me I need to do something about it. And I would put it together in a table and I would literally do red, amber, green. That's a standard method of doing it. Green says it's a low, it's still maybe a risk, but it's a low risk. Red, it's clearly a high risk. We've identified all of that. Now we get into the mitigation bit. What are we going to do about that risk? And you have three options. You can avoid it entirely. You can live with it or you can transfer it. So live with it. It's simply not worth the business time or the financial outlay to deal with it. The important thing is that we've identified that it's a risk and we have consciously decided to live with it. That's very different from not knowing 
or just not taking a decision. We have taken a conscious decision that this risk is a risk we can live with. We can avoid it or mitigate it. So we think about what can we do internally in our processes to avoid a risk. So for my building burning down, clearly there are some um, basic fire regulations that I can do. There's some basic training that I can do. Um, if it's cybersecurity, maybe um, I need to um, make certain that we have training on passwords, for example, or I use an external consultant to come in and help me um, put in better processes. So I am mitigating the risk. Um, or I can just transfer the risk. And that usually means insurance. So I'm making certain transferring means literally somebody else is going to hold that risk for me. Um, so typically the building burns down. I have insurance. That means the insurance company um, will help me um, uh, pay out compensation and help me um, reestablish the business. Um, there are other things that you can do. If there's a financial risk, you might be, and you're a huge company, you might be issuing bonds. Um, there are other means of spreading financial risks. But usually when you're transferring the risk, what you really mean is you're probably taking out insurance. And that's it. That's risk mitigation in a nutshell. So the key stages were identify the risks, decide the impact and the likelihood, and decide how you're going to handle. Are you going to mitigate, avoid or transfer? And finally, keep it simple. The best risk mitigation is doing something, not waiting for the perfect process. I'm always happy to cover topics put forward by listeners. Um, if you would like to suggest an idea or a topic or even an interesting guest, um, you can contact me via LinkedIn or by any of the Cambridge Marketing College social media channels. Thank you so much for listening and I'll catch you again next week.